welcome to the 24-7 podcast on the MedCorp Podcast Network. I'm Carrie Stevens, the Chief Editor of 24-7. Today, I'm joined by an excellent guest, Scott Trevino, who serves as Senior Vice President of Cybersecurity at TriMedics. Cybersecurity is certainly the issue that keeps 24-7 readers and listeners up at night most. So I'm really excited to have an expert like Scott to talk about what's new in medical device cybersecurity. So Scott, welcome. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. We're really glad to have you too. So can you start, can you talk about your role at TriMedics and what you do exactly? Sure. Um, I'm the Senior Vice President for Cybersecurity. So I do a, a few different things. One, I try and stay on top of cybersecurity trends, uh, in particular focused on medical devices. Um, and I also am responsible for building out our latest solution on cybersecurity that we offer uh, to our current and future clients. Great. Well, you know, I really want to get into the bulk of the podcast because cybersecurity is such a big health issue in healthcare, especially medical devices. And, you know, what things are you seeing right now in terms of healthcare cybersecurity? Um, you know, what trends are you seeing and how are health systems seeing an impact? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so cybersecurity is, is critical for healthcare. Of the critical infrastructure in the U.S., uh, what I would say is uh, healthcare is by far the furthest behind, the least mature, and it's evidenced by a number of trends I'll kind of hit on. Um, number one, you know, and I'll throw a, a few numbers out there. There's a ton. Um, the increase in ransomware attacks in the last five years is up over 200 uh, percent in healthcare. You, you kind of juxtapose that with some of the other macro trends that are happening in healthcare, where you have staffing shortages, increased costs across the board. 33% of hospitals are operating on negative margins. You know, you have a 200% increase in attacks on top of it. It's a, a challenging environment. And one other piece I'll highlight is if you kind of put it in a real terms that you can grasp, you know, real easily, it's how many attacks happen per week on a health system generally. From 2021 to 2022, it went up 86%. That's 750 plus attacks a week to over 1,400 attacks a week. And uh, there's a number of reasons for that, I would say. You know, it, attackers wouldn't be increasing their attacks if it wasn't fruitful, if there wasn't a return on the invested risk. So the benefits there, the, the likelihood of success is, and you may say, well, why is that? And we can go into that in a bit more detail, but I'll just hit on a couple things. One, medical devices haven't been designed maybe as rigorously with cybersecurity in mind, even though the technology's evolved to be networked. And there hasn't been a lot of enforcement of good design practices around that from a regulatory standpoint to date. Uh, we can talk about some changes there. Uh, the other piece I would say is it takes a, a robust combination of the right people process and that technology, both the devices as well as cybersecurity technology. So at a high level, those are a couple of the the key data points, and, and, and maybe I'll just leave with one final one there. I said it's, you know, healthcare is the most attacked critical infrastructure. From a cyber standpoint, it's also got the highest cost per breach at over $10 million per breach. So there's there's real dollar impact here uh, that's significant. And if you sort of extrapolate that, we're talking, you know, latest data I have is almost $8 billion of impact to healthcare. So that's kind of what's going on at high level. Well, how are these disruptions impacting patient care, the clinicians caring for them, and the biomeds serving the hospitals? Yeah, that's that's an excellent question. At the highest level, you know, what I talk about a lot is delay of treatment is a harm. And 
that's one of the biggest disruptions from a just a practical standpoint, rescheduling delays in treatment or test results. In fact, recent survey shows that of those attacked, about 70% reported delays in treatment and test results. And what's really significant about that is that's directly correlated with a 30 plus percent increase in, you know, direct patient harm or, you know, complications with the procedure. So there is a real patient impact, you know, and you got, you know, of that same group, about 65% reported an increase in rerouting patients. You know, just imagine, you know, you're in an area where you need a level one trauma, uh, you know, support, you're in an ambulance in route. And uh, that facility suffered a ransomware cyber attack and had to shut down its ER. Uh, where are you going to go? You, you may have to settle for a less than level one treatment center, or you may have to take an extra hour, 40 minutes, 30 minutes, 20 minutes. Every minute counts when you need that kind of support. So those are the type of impacts that uh, you know I you know I think paint the right picture for what cyber can do for the patient. And you know just imagine even the simple ones if you know, the uh, operating technology in a hospital is disrupted. Can you move patients between floors if the elevators aren't working? So uh, I think yeah. those paint, paint a real picture. So in your role at Trimedics, how are you seeing hospitals respond to these trends and challenges? Sure. I mean, there's an extreme amount of interest in cybersecurity uh, for all the reasons I mentioned. It's real, you know, when you're getting an 86% attack in it, uh, yeah, increasing yeah. attacks on a weekly basis, people are feeling it. So I would say folks are responding by assessing their current state, trying to understand uh, what needs to be done based on where they are. And there's a whole spectrum, right? As you would expect in a diverse industry and environment where you've got, you know, from a continuum perspective, you may have, you know, those that are pretty rigorous with a robust, you know, cybersecurity program that covers the entire healthcare ecosystem including medical devices to those that uh, maybe are just beginning the journey. And so you really got to, you know, it, it, it varies across the board. And what I like to say when, you know, talking to folks is to try and understand where they're at, mm-hmm. meet them where they're at, because it's a journey, right? It, it never stops. There's no perfect security. It's always sort of a, an effort to move ahead and evolve. So that's what I like to share with folks, which is it's not assessment of good or bad. It's where are you at and where can you get better and where should you get better? Well, there's obviously, you know, an interest in this topic at the federal level. So what are you seeing and hearing in terms of legislation and what does this mean moving forward? Yeah, terrific. So there's a there's a lot going on here. And so I'll paint a broad picture and then maybe get specific. And, and maybe my teaser is this. There's been recent legislation passed with the omnibus bill that really takes action on cybersecurity and empowers the FDA. But you know what I think is is important to kind of paint here is that in the recent in recent years, you know going back to like 20 you know 2021 to today, there's been four pieces of legislation passed recently. And prior to that, if we look at the time frame from say 2000 through 2021. There's only been, uh, you know, less than <laughs> only a few pieces of legislation, about the same amount, you know, over a, a 10, 11 peri- year period. And in the last two years, we see four significant pieces of legislation. So there's a true acceleration. I would say legislators, you probably see this on the news, you see this in the, the magazines or the articles you read, that cybersecurity is top of mind. And in particular, in healthcare, you can't shake a stick without seeing an article about cyber attacks or cybersecurity. So 
the legislators are responding. And what I would say is the initial legislation over the past, you know, from 2000 to 2021 or so, have been really institutional, broad sort of cybersecurity legislation that puts in place um, the foundations for government working within government, basic requirements for reporting, allowing the creation of consensus standards, for instance, allowing for communication and requiring some basic standards within government and then how government works with private sector. So those are all good and important and required to sort of grease the skids for work, but they're not real tactical or what I'd like to say is practical. In the most recent couple of years, there's been a few pieces of legislation that uh, have done basically the same. So I said there were four things uh, passed in the last two years. There was the State and Local Government Cyber Act, which is, again, basically about the government, DHS, doing cyber assessments and providing assistance and some grants. There was CERSHA, which is the Cyber Incident Reporting for Critical Infrastructure Act, which required reporting of attacks to CISA within 72 hours and ransomware payments reported within the last 24. And then strengthening the American Cybersecurity Act happened in 2022, which, again, is about critical infrastructure and mandates that not only do critical infrastructure have to report to CISA, but civilian agencies as well. So those, again, are all foundational things that don't have an, a, a specific or immediate impact, direct impact on medical devices, although that as a critical infrastructure is involved. But this year in 2023, the Consolidated Appropriations Act, that's the fourth legislation that was passed in the last two years or so, really put in some, some specifics around cybersecurity for medical devices. Uh, it empowered the FDA to act on these requirements, and these requirements at a high level uh, require that OEMs ensure medical devices are secure as part of their pre-market approval process. So when right. an OEM builds a new device, they submit it and have some requirements there. So that paints sort of the landscape at a high level. And so kind of pause there, Carrie, and see where we want to go next. Yeah. You know, I want to talk more about how the legislation is impacting the healthcare providers. So how exactly is it impacting the healthcare providers, the ISOs, the manufacturers? I mean, I know you get onto the new, um, how it's going to affect manufacturers with the new equipment, mm -hmm. but, and how much can health systems rely on legislations and regulations to guide their cybersecurity practices? Yeah, that's that, that's excellent. And if if you could indulge me, I'll give a little bit more detail and an overview of the, what the legislation is to highlight exactly what the, those impacts are to the healthcare providers. So I, I mentioned FDA is empowered to act, but what does that really mean? Well, the FDA, when looking at these new submissions, will look for requirements that show an S-bomb, for instance, in the device. So a software bill of materials. So essentially, it's just like a bill of materials for, you know, when you receive, uh, you know, something on your dock or at home, you know, what, what's in the box? And this is essentially mm -hmm. the same thing. What is the composition of my device in terms of its software? What off-the-shelf software components? What open source code? what software of unknown provenance or soup is in there? That sort of stuff. So that's a requirement. A plan to address vulnerabilities in those devices to monitor, identify, and respond is also another requirement. There's post, those are pre-market requirements, part of the design of the device, but there's also post-market requirements. So the OEM needs to show how they'll disclose vulnerabilities. They're required to disclose and do it in a coordinated fashion and ensure devices are secure through updates and patches. So those are sort of the pre and post-market requirements that come in this that FDA will enforce. There's also some things where 
FDA is funded and required to provide new resources. The GAO, the Government Accountability Office, is required to provide a report on the challenges in cyber across the board, uh, as well within the first year, and then an update to guidance on cyber. So that kind of paints the landscape to talk about the impacts. And so I'll take the second question first, which is, can we rely on this legislation? It, you know, and, and providers, should they rely on it? And I would say, this is an awesome step forward in the right direction. Okay. But one of the challenges here is it's focused entirely on new new product authorizations and approvals. So it's a great start, but if we were to solely rely on this, it would take decades to turn over the installed base with these requirements. And I say that based on experience where I've looked in my previous, uh, in some of my past, looked at installed bases of devices for a broad spectrum of devices to say, if we were to replace hypothetically the installed base in the, how long would that take to turn over all the devices? And as we all know, medical devices have extended life spans. They're usable for periods of time that are maybe greater than initially thought or, or even considered. So we're talking about decades before this would turn over if this, this law is only applied to the pre-market. So when we say, can we rely on that? I would say it's a great start. We should support it, but we should push for broader application because all of these things are great. But, you know, it would seem ideal that once you set up an SBOM or a disclosure standard and requirement that you would apply it not only to the new devices, but to the predicate devices or predecessor devices, because, you know, you've got sort of a sort of a known way to go and it would be fairly easy to do that. Nonetheless, I would say you can't rely on it and you need to act. How this law though does impact, I would say the healthcare providers in particular, you know, what, what I would say is upfront, I kind of highlighted a, a, a complex set of challenges that are out there. So you kind of got that going on in, in the background or as the context, I would say you also have legacy devices, right? So your new devices, when you purchase them, I think one thing to consider is what has been the history of, of your experience with whomever you're purchasing these devices from in terms of cybersecurity and responsiveness, the disclosure of information, patches, are patches free? How responsive are they? Those are all things that should be considered that should get better, but you're still dealing with legacy devices, existing vulnerabilities and the increasing threat landscape and, and cyber attack incidents. So, you know, I think from a healthcare delivery organization standpoint, those are all things to consider. You can't rely on the legislation to have an immediate impact, should support it. It's a great thing. New purchases, certainly it should impact those things, but you really have to consider acting today on and assessing what your current state is uh, and address that while you know, reaping some of the benefits that will trickle down from this legislation. Well, you, you've been getting into this, but I really want to get into more best practices. So I know our 24-7 listeners and readers are really, you know, they want tangible best practices. So can you talk about some best practices or solutions that healthcare systems can take to feel more cyber secure? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So I think you know, I, I talk a lot about the real simple <laughs> concept of people, process, and technology. And one of the things that's a challenge out there today, talking about the people perspective, is a talent shortage. There's a huge talent shortage for cyber professionals. I think it's estimated at over just, just over 700,000 people in the U.S. alone, over 3 million globally. So you need talent, you need the right people. So you need 
IT or cybersecurity professionals that's you know traditionally an IT or infosec type of background, but you also need those folks that have biomed capability and understanding how to how to service and maintain medical devices. And we have a shortage there as well. So when you look at getting somebody with both skills, you're kind of, you know, I always say kind of looking for a unicorn. So, you know, and and so you got to deal with that. So I think some there's some best practices there in terms of, you know, what I would say is work to uh, provide training, support certification, expand the biomed portfolio of tools if in your biomed shops with broad and IT skill set, and 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 look to you know maybe there's I folks with traditional IT backgrounds that are interested in the biomed you know there's cross pollination opportunities, um, and what I find is you know upskilling and training your teams is is a terrific way to go. It's a great retention mechanism. People feel valued. You're investing in them. Uh, it's a rewarding experience. Certainly, you need to recruit for the, with those things in mind. I think, you know, so you need th- those right people. You also, as a best practice, should look at how do you integrate and, and cross-pollinate those people across the organizations between IT and the biomed teams so they work together well. And then so the, the, the other, you know, pillar here on a process standpoint, right, you got to have the right people and then certainly the right process. I would say, in a lot of cases, certainly there's a spectrum of where different organizations land, but in a lot of cases, there aren't robust processes in place between those organizations for medical device cybersecurity. For instance, are there documented processes or standard processes for how patching is done, who does it, how, when, and how do you decide? Do, how do you apply or determine what's the appropriate compensating controls to apply to a medical device, which kind of gets outside of just the application of a validated patch. In many cases, you know, one of the, the challenges here as a quick aside is in our experience, more than, you know, 60% of devices do not have a validated patch that are vulnerable. And to kind of throw another incredible number out there is the FBI estimates that, uh, you know, 53% of active medical devices have a known critical vulnerability that's not addressed. That's just the critical vulnerability. So you've got an incredibly challenging environment out there. And not only do you have a challenge, you know, you have a challenge getting patches, which means your devices are critically vulnerable, which, you know, necessitates the need for a compensating control and processes by which to create and implement those. And a compensating control is simply, you know, sort of what it sounds like. It's a mitigation, it's not a remediation. So it reduces the risk of that vulnerability by doing things like changing the configuration, segmenting, taking it off the network, that sort of thing. Uh, That's kind of, you know, an example of a process. There's also processes to manage OEM relationships uh, for the reasons I just mentioned. There's an incredible threat landscape out there, a huge amount of vulnerabilities and vulnerable devices. You need to understand what those, which devices are affected, how they're affected, and what the remediations are in working with the OEMs. Uh, similarly, you need to have processes and people in place to monitor threats in the wild and sources of new, you know, new intelligence around the new vulnerabilities and affected devices. And those things need to be integrated and documented. The other piece here too to consider is incident response, continuity of service. These are traditional procedures and are in place in almost every hospital. But what I've seen is if you dig into the details, the question is to what extent do you have that for cyber incidents and how is biomed's role and our clinical engineering team's role identified in that and is that part of our HTM program. So, you know, that's the process piece. 
And then finally, uh, the technology, which is critical. It's critical to really make most efficient the, the people, the people doing the work and the processes that are employed. And one of the things I see oftentimes is investment in technology without investment in the other two becomes shelfware or very limited in benefit. You know, that's one key piece to consider. It's not unique to cybersecurity or medical devices, but it's, it's, really evident in, in medical device cybersecurity. And, and what I would say here from a technology standpoint, and it's kind of a landscape standpoint, is that there's huge inventory inaccuracies, or another way to say it, there's huge opportunity to improve our inventory accuracy and technology can help with that through you know deploying a medical device security platform that passively monitors what's on the, you know, uh, you know perceives what devices are on the network, identifies them, you know, profiles the behavior for anomalous behavior. And so deploying that sort of technology is a great best practice and integrating that with the people and processes you have really helps you improve your inventory accuracy and determine not only what you have, but what's impacted when something uh, known vulnerability exists. Because one of the tricky parts about medical devices and vulnerability management are, is understanding which devices are truly impacted. And a traditional, right. a traditional inventory, let's say traditionally from a clinical engineering program standpoint, does not capture the right the attributes necessary to really get down to the level of detail and precision of what the device is and if, if it's truly affected or not. So without that, it, you can create a lot of rework, not a true understanding of your, your risk profile. So I think technology can help with that considerably. You know, what I would say sort of finally on the tech tech side is integration of, you know, like a security platform with the CMMS, plugging into a SOC, a security operations center that may be monitoring, you know, detecting threats and responding on a 24 by seven basis are all kind of critical best practices. And so at the highest level, I'd say the best practice is to assess where you are across those three pillars from a cyber standpoint, your healthcare technology management program, assess where you are and, and then identify your biggest risks and start to put a plan in place and execute on improving across those pillars. And, you know, it, there's not a one size fits all because, you know, each, each group's risk profile is typically unique. It, however, the approach I think is can be standard. Uh, as I say, look at it in the ways I just mentioned, identify those issues and assess yeah. them. And you can use the NIST cybersecurity framework as a great place to do that if you want a reference point to sort of take a standard, well-accepted, best practice for medical devices, uh, in my opinion, in approach to assess your current state. And it's really about people processing tech. So with all we've discussed today, I hear that in addition to the advanced solutions you have available to your clinical engineering clients, Trimedics has worked to develop and release a similar cyber offering for hospitals without Trimedics' clinical engineering service solutions. So can you tell us about that right now? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we're very excited uh, to be releasing a product called Vigilor, uh, which is exactly that. It's a cybersecurity solution. Uh, without the TriMedic CE program. So we come in and are able to work with the existing biomed teams, uh, really upskill and, and, and uh, drive cybersecurity solutions for medical devices, but also help the collaboration and work with the IT team to really coordinate between those, those two groups, as we talked about before, to ensure a comprehensive cybersecurity solution for medical devices, hitting on all points that I mentioned before. Um, and we 
what we the solution does is come in and assess current state of your cyber program. Uh, risk prioritizes uh, where we focus and works together to help drive improvement on that risk continuum to address your biggest threats, uh, improve your inventory accuracy and manage your vulnerabilities, amongst other things, as well as improve your processes and uh, capabilities. So when will this be available to hospitals? It's available today and you can find out more at trimedics.com slash cybersecurity uh, where uh, you can get in contact with us and we'll provide more information and have a, a conversation, understand uh, what your needs might be and how we might be able to help. Well, thank you so much, Scott. This has been so informative and I know our listeners will agree. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us today. As always, be sure to subscribe to the MedCorp Podcast Network to keep up with the latest 24-7 podcast episodes. And be sure to check out 24x7mag.com for the latest industry news. Until next time, take care. Take care.